0: This podcast is brought to you by Agapi Match. Agapi Match is a boutique matchmaking service that helps exceptional singles find meaningful connections and relationships. To learn more about our matchmaking services, online dating makeovers and takeovers or to enroll in an upcoming group coaching intensive, go to agapimatch.com. Welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I answer your dating and relationship questions on the podcast and online. If you're not already following me, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at MatchmakerMaria. And while you're at it, follow this podcast at Ask a Matchmaker so that you're notified each week when a new episode drops. In this week's episode, we will explore caregiving and dating and grief and dating. And I have two guests, Brooke James and Katie Brand. Brooke James is a highly respected podcaster in the field of grief and loss based in New York City. She's a sought out grief educator who consults with companies and organizations seeking to create empathetic and supportive work environments, particularly during this time of unprecedented loss. She currently works at Adaly, a startup focused on paying family caregivers and previously worked in management consulting. Katie Brandt is the director of caregiver support services and public relations in the frontotemporal disorders unit at at MassGen Hospital. Katie provides leadership for research, education, and community events aimed at supporting the caregiver experience for families impacted by Alzheimer's disease, frontotemporal disorders, and atypical and young onset dementias. Ladies, welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker Podcast.
1: Hi, Maria. Thank you uh, for hi. having us. <laughs>
0: um, so, Katie, Brooke, uh, you know this is going to be uh, a really tough episode, I think. Um, and I'm, I'm. It's like, funny. I don't want to just talk to you as someone who has a podcast that wants to give information to people. I want to talk to you because I feel like I'm suffering from anxiety when it comes to, you know, I'm not dating, but like, I'm still caregiving right now in my situation. And it's like weird. I feel like I have like anxiety grief. We'll talk about that later. But I want to learn more about, you know, where does your drive and passion come into helping these two communities of grief and well of caregiving and grief? Let's start with you,
1: Katie. I think I've always wanted to help people. Right. I knew that that was my career. I used to work in the child welfare industry, and um, then in 2009, my young husband was diagnosed with the rare brain disease frontal temporal dementia. He passed away uh, just over three years later at the age of 33 when our son was just four years old. Um, around the same time my husband was diagnosed, my mother passed away, and my father had been diagnosed with young onset Alzheimer's disease. and after my husband passed away i felt like the grief that that experience created so much energy for me and mm-hmm. i knew that if i didn't put that energy out it would be negative negative. and so instead of going back to my career in the child welfare industry i decided to dedicate myself to working in a clinical research program focused on supporting caregivers of loved one with dementia and that really drives my passion for all the work that I do today.
0: Wow, well thank you for being here. And how
2: about you Brooke? My dad was diagnosed uh, with cancer in 2018 and then I stopped working the week we put him in hospice and um, took some time off after he passed away and kind of reevaluated as you do with a major life event of what do I want to do is what I'm doing making me happy. And so I was doing some freelance work, et cetera, but decided I wanted to um, write a book about grief because I couldn't believe no one knew how to talk to me about what I was experiencing um, in my contemporary group unless they had experienced a loss. And I was just thinking, you know, what a disservice that we all are going to go through this. And because we don't talk about this, Um, at least in 2019, we definitely do a little more now with the pandemic. that I wanted uh, people to just kind of understand what this is like and see stories for um, what this looks like. And I started writing a book and I was like, wow, this is so hard. Um, I'm going to have a podcast instead. Uh, So my podcast um, launched in November 2019. uh, So just hit two years, Um, have over 70 episodes, have an audience in over 100 countries, Um, now do some corporate speaking and training, um, which is really, really rewarding. Um, And like to cover the whole gamut of loss and talk a lot about caregiving also, because for many people who experience loss, that is something that happens, um, that they experience rather before um, the person passes away. Um, And now um, have pivoted what I'm doing and I'm at a startup that focuses on um, helping family caregivers get access to resources and support.
0: Well, that's really, that's really great. So what I'm going to do in this episode is I have lots of questions, but I'm still going to allow the listeners who um, called in previously with their own commentary and questions to help us thread this conversation. So let's start off with the first commentary. I'm going to play it for you.
1: Hi, Maria. I had to handle this
2: in my 20s when my mom was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. First, therapy. Know what you're dealing with so you can own it. That's what I wish I knew. What I actually did was dated mostly friends of friends who had some idea of what was happening in my life. As I've gotten older, it's very similar to dating a divorced parent with kids. You have to be open to shifting days and times and not take it personally if you have to cancel. They're hard to find, but men like this definitely do exist. Just my two cents. Thanks for everything you do. Oh, and don't forget to
1: get a colonoscopy. Bye.
0: So here we're talking about, you know, dating with a critically ill parent or when you're the caregiver.
1: So... You know, when I'm talking with families about how they can balance, and I think that's laughable sometimes, right? Because caregiving, just as parenting, sometimes can just take over your life. There's there's no balance seesaw. You're just flat on the ground sometimes. But there are things that you can do to anticipate, you know, how am I going to make space for me in this new role? And I talk a lot about the caregiver trifecta. It's this way that I talk with caregivers about building a deep bench, who is on their side, and that's building a connection with a great medical team, with uh, their disease community. So if your loved one has Alzheimer's, get connected with the Alzheimer's Association so you can go to support group and learn other tips and tricks. And the third group is uh, your home community, which is where you're going to find resources. and. I can talk a little bit more about each of those things, but I bet that Brooke probably um, also has like a similar framework, right? If you're talking about connecting caregivers with resources, I think that's the first thing um, before you can even think about space for dating and other relationships.
2: Yeah, so I think um, for me, we were really lucky when we were taking care of my dad that like I have a really big family and a lot of people stepped in. Um, and friends' family etc. but I found for me I was really trying to hold on to some sense of normalcy and so I was trying to go on dates until pretty close to when we put him in hospice because you kind of go through this and I don't know if Katie you experienced this of like you kind of want to pretend what you're dealing with is over here and not really real because it's really hard to deal with right so you're like okay I'm and I was 30 so it was like I'm 30 years old like I'm single like I need to find I want to find someone to like have babies with right and how do I you know get keep that going as much as I can while also dealing with this so something I talk about on the podcast a lot is vulnerability um and Mm -hmm. the concept of like measured vulnerability so um then I would be kind of honest about what I was dealing with a little bit um, with certain people, but often I just wouldn't say anything um, and would just not give a lot of details about it and you know, go on a date for two hours, a break, um, and that worked for me. And then while I was grieving, um, would balance who did I tell, who did I didn't, and often I would say because people would say, what do you do? And so I have a podcast about grief, and they'd ask, "Why I did, well, how did I get into that? So I would tell people, and then now with my current boyfriend, he's the first person I like waited to tell, um, and so now I'm kind of focused on this measured vulnerability of building trust a little bit before you share that. And for me, that's worked really well. Um, as at what far as-
0: point? At what point would you suggest? Um- like sharing, like, you know, you have this in with the podcast, right? Right. But, you know, most people don't have um, a podcast or even work <laughs> in grief or care right. counseling, right? So um, let's say you, you were one of our listeners. At what point – because here's where I'm I get concerned now is like on the dating space is sometimes if we share these really tough moments – we can um, kind of stumble into trauma bonding with someone else who maybe also had this. And that that could be that could be a recipe for disaster in the future. Or, you know, you could find yourself with someone who wants to take advantage of you because you're this vulnerable. Um, yeah. You know, they're going to shower you with attention, make you feel good until they're not making you feel good. So That's what point? what's point. the right balance?
2: Uh, for me, I waited until like our, we had done four FaceTime dates because it was the beginning of the pandemic. And then on our third in person, I finally oh, told wow. him what the podcast was about because and he would ask me and I'd say, it's kind of like personal. So like, I'm not going to tell you yet. Uh, if he Googled me, he definitely could have found it very easily and he might have and mm-hmm. just like not told me. But as far as a listener who doesn't have that, I think probably I would say, unless you feel really comfortable on the first date. And it comes up naturally, I would probably wait until like maybe the third or fourth date. And if someone asks you something, just be like, and I think I've seen you say this, Maria, of you can say, like, oh, that's kind of personal. And like, I'm not ready to get into that yet with you. And someone who is ready to be in a mature relationship will respect that. And then I think once you eventually open up, they will respect that vulnerability even more. And for those of us who are going through something traumatic, like caregiving, grief, and Caregiving is hard and some people do find it traumatic. Like sometimes you want to just like let it out to like someone who's not involved, but to hold that boundary with yourself, um, I think is really important, if you can.
1: I think too, it can set a tone for the date. Like, I've heard Maria on different episodes, sometimes you encourage people like, go to a comedy club, get the dopamine going. You know, if you're on a first date and someone's like, how was your day? And you had a terrible experience showering your mom. And then maybe after she was all clean and showered, then she had more incontinence in the afternoon. And then like, that was your day. Sharing that can really set a tone for a first date or a second date that probably is representative of this specific moment and tough time in your life, but not representative of you as a whole person. Mm -hmm. And so just like Brooke just said, I think it's okay to say like, you know what, I kind of had a tough day today, but I really would love to focus on talking about like something lighter with you if that's okay tonight. You know, and I think people really respect that. And it's totally okay, I think, to tell people, you know, when I get closer, then I'm all right to share this, but it's kind of intimate and personal. And I like to wait until I know that we're gonna have a longer relationship. Right. Because if you're going to date someone three times, you don't want to tell them all about your loved one's illness and your role as a caregiver.
0: You know, recently um, I was at church and someone who is friends with my mom, who I don't think he's like spoken to her in the last year and a half because, you know, no one's going to church. (laughs) Um, But uh, he, I guess, found out because, you know, I had a rushed baptism for my daughter, which is not typical in my community he, he asked, you know, I saw him at church like two weeks later and he was like, you know, how, he just wanted to talk about my mom. And at that moment I was like, I don't, I don't want to talk about her. Like, I'm, I'm so sorry, but like, cause he's asking me like the most basic of questions, like what happened? And I've had that asked me like so many times. And if I'm not prepared for it, I don't want to have to relive. Cause every time I relive what the, what happened for my mom, I get I, i'm in the i'm still in the anger stage because i feel like a lot of the issues that my mom has in her health were preventable right my mom is suffering with complications to diabetes and you know i'm ang- i'm still angry at that and i don't want to talk to people about the beginning because that's what they're you know what they you know what they always say to me it's always your mom, she was so smart. How could this happen? And I'm like, yeah, intelligence has nothing to do with willpower. You know, that's like, you know, or like, they'll say your mom is so thin. It's like, and like, that's not how insulin uh, is distributed in your body, you know? So it just like, it's very like, I don't want to have to educate people either about my mom, because it just makes me again, angry. And I've just realized, like, only recently that you know, someone the other day called to talk to me about something else, about work stuff. I don't have that relationship with them to talk about my personal life. And they just asked, so how is your mom doing? And I was just like, oh, I don't want to talk about that right now with you. Um, let's, let's, let, you know, let's regroup about the other thing another day. Like I, you know, if you, I know people DM me sometimes and I appreciate it. And I don't mind that because it's like, I can ignore it, you know, but when you're on the phone with someone, what am I supposed to do? Hang up. <laughs> so it's like, you kind of put in the situation where it's like, uh, You know, I think it's great that there's a vocabulary for now that Brooke just told us, like measured vulnerability, where it's like, I get to decide how vulnerable I get to be with people and also in what method, right? Like I've been vulnerable online on my social media when I want to share things about my mom, but I'm not talking about the beginning because that's the beginning of this is what angers me.
2: Yeah. And if I could jump in, I think part of the reason people say things that you're just like, why are you, why? Um, is because they don't know what to do. So, like, on the right. podcast a lot, I talk about these are things, and I do a segment with almost all guests of like, these are things that were really helpful when people said them to me. These are things that were not helpful. And it's different for different people, but how can we give people that vocabulary? Because they don't know. And so they're trying right. their best, but like, we don't ever talk about this. So, I think what you do is perfect of like, oh, I don't really want to talk about that right now. Or Katie's suggestion of like, that's really personal, and like if we keep dating, we can talk about that. Um, yeah. Or I just like to focus on work right now. Depending on who you're talking to, and people who are not terrible will respect that, right? <laughs> like...
1: What about the idea, Brooke? I I talk to caregivers. Okay, so a lot of times caregiving can be a marathon experience, right? So it's like years, and I think of it like a grief pool. So a pool has the baby end, the shallow end, and it also has the deep end where you're treading water and you're just trying to keep your head up. And some days you're in the deep end. Other days, maybe just you're ankle deep and you're at church or you're at your son's school play and you're like feeling pretty good even though that your feet are still a little wet. And then someone comes at you and they're in a different part of the pool and they wanna drag you to that, that other part of the pool. Guess what? you don't you're not ready for that you don't need to swim there and I think what Maria you just said was it can be really awakening for people to realize like oh I don't have to go there with someone else if that's not healthy for me in the moment like I'm trying to make a new memory of joy with my family or I'm just trying to get through my day and be productive and getting in the deep end of the grief pool might not you know support those things.
0: I'd like to add in another commentary sent in from a listener. Hi, Maria.
3: In response to one of the questions asked on Ask a Matchmaker about dating when having the role of taking care of a sick parent, um, I just wanted to first recognize how difficult of a situation this is and how hard it is to have to be in this situation. a lot of times you don't understand what it's like unless you're also in the similar boat. Um, And it's a club that nobody wants to be in, but uh, really I think you can only empathize with someone if you've been in that situation. Um, There are people that don't even know what the word hospice means um, and don't understand what kind of comes along with caregiving. Um, So I've found that When dating someone, um, when you're trying to take care of a sick parent, that person will, over time, either continue to push you to give them more of you. um, And I feel like it can sometimes make you feel torn between the responsibilities that you feel that you have to your parent Um, versus also giving your significant other, the person that you're dating, what they also want and what they deserve.
1: So how do we strike a balance when it comes to this? You know, this goes back to the caregiver trifecta. So I'm talking with caregivers ahead of time about building their bench. So for example, if you think, you know what, I want dating to be a part of my life, but I am caregiving for my loved one. Oftentimes people that are dealing with medical issues where they need a caregiver, they benefit from consistency and um, regular support. So then we're start. I'm talking to caregivers about what about, and I call this like the gift of permission, you know, what about putting some time in your schedule based on your financial and emotional and you know, what you think is okay. That time on your schedule each week or bi-weekly or each month where you hire someone or get a family member or friend to care for your loved ones so that you can go out and really putting that time in and so then you're communicating to your partner who you're dating these are the nights that i'm available and i know i'm available if something special comes up we can plan ahead but i think sometimes letting your potential partner know what is your availability right up front could help to protect against that person who's trying to take more time for you than you feel is the right amount to give. And I think that's something
2: um, at Adely, uh my startup that we talk about a lot, is in order to best take care of your loved one, you need to also be taking care of yourself. And whether that's for people who don't have financial resources to bring someone else in, um, that's taking deep breaths, that's doing five minutes of exercise while your loved one is sleeping, whatever it is, Um, whether that is you can bring someone in and um, leave your home and go out on a date for dinner, for coffee, whatever. Um, If you're taking care of yourself and filling your own cup, you can take better care of someone else. And that looks different for different people. And that bench, I think, looks different for different people. Um, But it is really important to do something for just you, not you, the caregiver.
0: Are there resources available to people who feel, because I don't know, right? Like I can see this place of hopelessness where it's like I'm 38 years old, you know, and now I'm caring for a parent and it's on me and this is my time to date and now I'm missing out and who's going to want to be with me? And, and even if I found him, how much time can I give him? How can we be alone? Like, are there, are there, like, if you don't have, I, I guess this is one of the things that I've been struggling with this past few months is like, gosh, if you don't have the financial resources, um, then what? Like I only, and by the way, I only just learned what Medicaid is like two weeks ago. And in that, cause everyone kept saying, oh, just put her on Medicaid. And then I was like, oh, wait, they get equity of your house? What am I going to do when my dad gets sick? Like, I started freaking out. Like, I can't, like, I can't, I, I can't, I don't think my mom qualifies for any outside care. And then just kind of putting myself in my, in like a single person's shoes. It's like, oh God, like this is, this is it now. Like, this is my full responsibility that I, I get to, I'm lucky that I get to share it with my dad right now. But then what happens when my dad gets sick? Like, you know, you it's like this train that comes in and, and I know that there are people here that are listening right now that feel that sense of hopelessness. And it's like, how do I give them
1: some hope, something? I think before you can have hope, you need to have permission that putting yourself on the list is, ex- it's not only acceptable, but required, you know, and, um, so Maria, I just want to say I felt all of those things and had all of those thoughts. You know, when my husband passed away I was 32 and my son was 4 and I was living in full-time caregiving for my dad and I thought all those things. But I also thought about you know, what would the people who had lost my husband and my mother, the people who loved me in my life, what would they want for me? And they would want me to as fully possible um, like be myself and being myself is not just one thing. It's not just being a mom or being a caregiver. It's having a lover, it's having friends, um, it's being in partnership with someone. But really the building blocks of that are so like logistical. And going to support groups can give you ideas and usually those are free. Um, if you're caring for someone with a dementia, you wanna connect with an elder law attorney and there is a National Association of Elder Law Attorneys and most of them will give you a free consultation the first time. And if right up front you talk about that finances are an issue, they can talk with you about a fee structure or even refer you to an attorney who might be willing to do some pro bono work. Um, And really it's about getting help to ask those very specific questions like, what is my loved one eligible for? so that I can think about what's the plan I'm going to make that includes me.
0: An elder care attorney would help you with finding out what you're qualified for.
2: Yes, and um, those that's a state by state often. Um, and in some cases, there are specific um, offerings within counties in each state. Um, it's very complicated, so it is definitely worth talking to an attorney about these things. And as Katie said, you can often get a free consultation at least.
0: Well, that's really good to know. All right. We have a question from our listeners. I'd love to play it.
2: Hey, Maria. I had a question for you on the topic of grief and dating. Um, I recently lost my dad a little over two and a half months ago to a terminal illness that we've been fighting with him for like over two years now. Um, Things kind of got bad over the summertime and I was already trying to balance um, things with him and dating. Um, and I've been looking for a serious relationship, but, uh, it's been hard to know when or how to begin again. Um, I know my dad would want me to be happy and find someone, but it's been hard to put myself out there again. Um, if you have any advice, that'd be great. Thank you. I can start with this one. Uh, I think you, you know, when you're ready within three, even six months is really hard because, uh, for those of you who have experienced loss or trauma it, your emotions are quite volatile certain things will trigger and um, I always give the metaphor that grief is like waves because sometimes they're big sometimes they're little they come out of nowhere um, they surprise you sometimes ones that seem really big actually aren't that bad like I really like dig into this water metaphor um, but I think how you know if you're ready is you just is unfortunately like trial and error but I would give it at least three to six months um and kind of three see to six
0: months before you start before you again.
2: start going out again um and that's different for different people that was what I found in my experience and for friends of mine who have experienced loss what is a general benchmark um but You'll know if you do want a distraction. You'll, but three to six months gives you time to kind of deal with your own stuff. Dealing with grief is work. It's not easy. We A lot of people want a Band-Aid solution. And I get emails all the time that are like, well, what do I do? And people just want like a checklist almost. But it doesn't work like that. So in kind of digging a little bit deeper to understand your own feelings and heal, which that looks different for different people, for some people that's movement, for some people that's writing, for some people that's talking, for some people um, it's determining, you know, different ways. How do you honor your loved one? Um, but after a little bit of time, you can start to go on dates again. And I would, a gauge that I, um, found helpful was how was I at, um, in social settings because, you know, a date is kind of a social setting. It's often a more intimate one, but, um, I, that was helpful for me. I was like, okay, I can go. And if I see an acquaintance who's like, hey, how have you been? I don't want to cry right away. Uh, and that was, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm probably ready now. So that's good. Um, I don't know, Katie, if you found anything specific that was helpful for you.
1: Brooke, what do you think about the idea? I work with a lot of caregivers coping with ambiguous loss, right? So it's this long grief period and different types of grief. And what I experienced personally and have worked with many caregivers they are they can be ready for companionship before they're ready for a relationship so sometimes in in your grief journey or really after any trauma or you know you're looking to connect you're looking to be around people to maybe not always be alone but that doesn't mean you're ready for the intimate connections that can come with relationships. And so that's where I think it can be a great opportunity, like Brooke's saying social situations, to say to your friends, like, hey, um, if you're going out as a group, like, could you invite me? Because the other thing is people are nervous, like, oh, I don't want to invite Katie to a party. Like, her husband just died. This is so rude. We're like going to party and she's sad. Tell people what you want because the people who love you want to help you But they have no idea what you need, (laughs) so yeah. And I think a good question to ask if you're
2: listening and you have a friend who's going through this is, do you want to talk about it or do you want to be distracted? Because then you kind of know how Mm. to guide your relationships. And if you are dating someone who is experiencing, whether it's ambiguous loss or they just lost someone to a death, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to be distracted? That helps the person be like, oh, this is exactly what I need right now, A or B. And it helps you know because it changes, and it changes sometimes daily. Um, It's complicated, and I really love that Katie of like just tell your friends you would like to be invited um, because they don't know, (laughs) so you have to tell them.
1: So I love that. Can can you ask what is ambiguous loss? So Brooke, you might be an expert in this, but Dr. Pauline Boss is uh, an amazing leader in the field of grief and she talked about ambiguous loss related to um like think of 9 11 when people were their lives were lost but maybe they were not found um individuals Mm. who care for someone that have a drug addiction a serious mental health issue or a dementia where their personhood leaves but their body remains Um, you know, terrible experiences with kidnappings or things like that. And it's this idea of how do you cope with, hey, my loved one's not here, present in my life the way they used to be. My dad can't be my dad, but his body is still here. I'm still responsible for him. So it's just, it's this different type of grief. Um, And it's something that is worthy of acknowledgement so that if you have those feelings, they are real, even though your loved one is still present.
0: Have you heard of grief anxiety? Um, I recently read this on a Reddit thread. (laughs) I follow this Reddit thread called Aging Parents. And it's a very interesting, my sister turned me to it. Um, It's been actually pretty helpful for me to cope just like read other people's experiences because... I think for a lot of people, when they enter the caregiving part of their lives and you don't know when it's going to strike, you you realize like, oh my God, no one's talked to me about this before. It's like, it just hits you like a ton of bricks, you know? And that was my experience. And, you know, kind of hearing other people when I'm ready to read helped me a lot on that thread. And then I came to terms with this thing called like grief anxiety, which is like, I know. So like on October 1st, the, my mom's doctor told me that my mom probably has like three weeks to live and it's like, okay, um, you know, my daughter's named after her. I'm going to baptize her before she passes on. Like that is just something that Greek people do. That's actually, even my father, he was baptized like a, like a, as an infant, like 22 days, two weeks, two days old or something, which is not normal in our religion. Um, because his grandfather was about to die. So if you know someone's about to pass, that's in your immediate family. It's like, you have to do this. So it's like, oh God, like, all right. I told my sister who lives in Greece and my father who happened to be in Greece, I told them like, you guys have to come back. Um, anyway, so at the baptism, um, I thought my mom was going to die that day. Honestly, like if you saw her an hour before the baptism, like she couldn't even sit up. It was like the most stressful like hour of like both me and my sister and my father's life. Um, but then like, okay, she kind of got some energy. It was like, okay. Right. Um, then we know when we got home, I'll never forget. Like my mom was completely, you know, she had incontinence and all that stuff. And I'm wearing this beautiful gown and like, I'm trying to like undress her and I'm, you know, it's like, it's messy. It's like, I gotta, you know, take care of her and all that stuff. And then I'm, I'm really blessed and lucky that my sister came because having an extra person that first few weeks when things were just like, you know, my mom needed 110% care. Right. But then towards the end of my sister being here, my sister was four weeks. Suddenly she started to get stronger the last week, like just kind of nowhere. And now like, if you go downstairs where she, where her room is, it's like, you know, we still have to help feed her and, you know, we still have to, you know, she has incontinence and all that stuff. But like, she can now sit up for three hours a day. Like suddenly she's like stronger. And so now I'm at this point in my life where I'm like, oh, okay, so it's not three weeks. The doctor's like, well, maybe it could be a year now. And I'm like, wait, what? You know, so it's like suddenly like this wave of grief that I kept experiencing in October, now it's like paused and I don't remember that grief because it's like, okay, things are okay right now. It's just taking up a lot of my time to care for this person and my energy and my emotional stuff. Um, like I'll tell you, uh, my period started yesterday and having to take care of my mom while that's happening, like I had zero patience for anything. I was like just getting angry because the sheet rolled out of the bed and I'm like, Oh, why won't the sheet stay? And I just started like kind of yelling at the sheet and it's just like, you know, it's like a lot because you have your own emotional well-being. anyway. So now I'm at this point where I'm like, Oh, okay. So my mom is living right now and she's getting stronger. And then what? Until when? Like, and now I have these like weird panic attacks where it's like, okay, I'm planning these things for work, but am I going to be able to go? Is something going to happen? Don't die this week. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's a very weird place to live in. Yes.
2: Um, I, we, most people tend either towards anxiety or depression it depends on your brain makeup um i had a neurologist on um or she's a trauma therapist we talk a lot about neurology in episode 55 of how grief manifests itself in your body because that's something i think is really interesting um but if you tend towards anxiety which i also do um it it it's really hard and i want people to to know that that is hard and you to know that is hard um because you feel it in your body of like your chest I don't know if that happens to you, your chest constricts and your heart beats really fast and like yeah. you, digestive issues like headaches, like sleep, all this stuff because we're trying to make sense of this huge shift in our lives. And caregiving is a roller coaster. Grief is a roller coaster. And you're just trying to grasp on of what is this, what is this, what is this. And the reason that you were saying you can't remember what that grief was like that was a few weeks ago is because your brain is protecting you. And so that's why you can't remember that. That's what happens. I um I do not have a science degree. I'm not going to pretend that I can give you a specific reason Could why I that happened. Could I mention happens.
0: another weird, another weird thing that's happened to me? Yeah. Um, since I'm sharing all this stuff now, I have found myself hating certain people. Be- like I don't I don't like to use that word hate a lot, but like there are people that I don't know in real life, right? Like maybe I follow them on Instagram who have been who clearly have wealthy parents and they live a very privileged lifestyle and their parents probably prepared way better for retirement than my parents ever could. Like they never had that opportunity like their parents maybe did. Um, and when their parents get sick, they'll probably have, you know, your parents are millionaires, so they're going to have staff and they're going to have whatever, you know, sort resources. And, and it's like, you know, I I found myself like every time they would post a story just getting angry thinking to myself like you're never going to experience what I'm experiencing and then you have the audacity to give people advice. Like how dare you? You know, like that sort of thing. And I'm like, well, that's not their fault. Like like I just found myself getting so angry that I had to like unfollow them. I was just like, I can't. I can't see your perfect lifestyle because it is perfect. Like I get it. Like not and I know that Instagram is not real. But there are people who are who have a lot more access to care than I can possibly afford right now. And it's like, I'm angry that you don't have to experience this because I'm experiencing this. And I feel like, you know, ah, so I don't know. That's such a weird emotion, by the way, to like be angry at people who don't even know you in real life (laughs) and you don't know them
1: in real life. Well, that's a safe place to put your anger, Maria, right? (laughs) So like if you're there is, of course, there's anger associated with this, the injustice of it. You know, I would be angry at people who um, didn't get along with their mothers or divorced their husbands. I would think, why didn't why did I lose my husband or my mother who I was so close with? And you don't even want yours in your life, and you still get to have them, right? Like oh my that god! Yeah, kind of like feeling that type of, why am I in this situation without the resources I need, and somebody else has so much. I think that that is just a way to direct your anger away from the situation that you have to live in every day. Um, but I also just wanted to comment on you know, that physician telling you it could be three weeks and then mentioning a year and how anxiety provoking that can be for caregivers because there is a real difference between a sprint and a marathon, right? And I bet that when that physician told you your mom had a few weeks to live, you turned every atom of your being towards your mother. Yeah. But guess what? Oh, yeah. You're a professional, you're a wife, you're a mother. Okay, so now if someone's telling you, you have to do that for a year, well, does that mean you're giving up on your other roles? You know, and the sacrifices really stack up for caregivers in addition to that huge one of the loss of the person you love.
0: I found myself, I know this is, I don't, I don't want I want this to be a safe space where people can talk about things. So like I found myself getting at some point, even mad. I was like, wait, why are you still alive? Like, of course I want my, you know, my kids are getting older. I want them to have memories of her. I want them to remember her. But at the same time, I was like, wait, what is happening now? Look, things are a lot better than they were three, you know, those first three weeks. Like if my mom was like the way she was the first three weeks for a year, like I don't, you know, God, that would be awful, you know? But um, now that things have kind of calmed down a bit, it's like, okay, I'm not, but it was like, I remember like just feeling, I only admitted it to my sister and now I'm admitting it to all my listeners where it was like, suddenly I was like, wait. I'm mad at you because you're alive. What is wrong with me? Like, I started to feel all this guilt. And I was like, there's no... And I'm telling you, going on that Reddit thread, it just made me feel better because it was like, oh, suddenly all these people anonymously were admitting. Like, there's like a safe space where it's like, oh, this is a normal emotion that you have to juggle. And yeah.
2: Well, that's the thing is people don't talk about these hard things. And so we don't have a model. But what you are experiencing is super normal and everyone experiences um, and so it's good that we're having this conversation. It's good the Reddit thread exists. It's good that more people are starting to talk about this because it is real. And when you're experiencing you're like, oh my god, I'm terrible. But then you're like, no, this is totally normal. And my brain is trying to make sense of this awful thing. And that's why this is happening
0: to me. So I'm glad you're saying that. Let's, <laughs> let's end this on one last question, since now we're talking about like judgment here. like What do you tell people? Um, you know, when it it comes to dealing with the judgment that might come from, like, I'm dating, let's say, quotes, too early.
2: Like, that's nice. Like, you know, (laughs) like, this is what works for me. Like, that might, it might seem too soon for you, but this is what I am going to do right now to bring some joy into my life.
0: Yeah.
1: I would say that in general, judgment from others whether it's about dating too soon or maybe waiting too long to date, right? Like you're giving too much of yourself to your mom or you're not giving enough. Judgment is when people are trying to make sense of a situation that they don't understand. And it could Mm -hmm. potentially come from a place of love. Like, I want to see you out and happy. But the reality is like, you're the one living your life and, and you know what you need to fulfill your responsibilities, your values, But also maybe what you're emotionally needing um, by connecting with others or waiting to connect. So just judgment in general is really toxic for people who are grieving and caregiving. Well, Katie
0: and Brooke, thank you so much for joining um, me on the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. If people wanted to listen to your podcast, Brooke, where can they find it? Uh, everywhere that you listen to podcasts. It's called The Grief Coach. Uh, my website is thegriefcoach.co
2: and on social I'm at the underscore grief coach.
0: And um, Great. if you have questions, uh, shoot me a DM. Thanks. I will include those in the episode notes. And how about you, Katie? Where can people find you?
1: People can find me at katiebrant.org and on Instagram at katiebrant6, and that will lead you to all kinds of things at Mass General related to caregiver resources.
0: Amazing. Well, ladies, it was so great to have you on. I feel like I got a lot of, out of this, even though I turned this into a therapy session. But um, I think I think my listeners are also going to get a lot out of this, and I just really appreciate you sharing uh, and being vulnerable on this episode. Thank, Thank you, you so me. much. Thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. If you'd like to speak to me on an upcoming hotline episode, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Matchmaker Maria. I'll post a link in my stories from time to time and we can hop on and have that talk. Until then, you can learn more about what I do or enroll in an upcoming Agape intensive by visiting agapimatch.com services. Thank you again for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. Be lovable and more importantly, be
3: likable. See you next week.